Formosa Files is sponsored by the Frank C. Chen Cultural Foundation. Frank Chen, Chen Chuan, served as the mayor of Kaohsiung City from 1960 to 1968 and founded the Kaohsiung Medical College. Formosa Files. Welcome back to Formosa Files. Today's episode is no political intrigue or military matters. We're going to look at Taiwan's favorite meat. And no, it's not turkey, as in jai turkey rice. Huh. Some of you may recall a listener requested this. And John, you live in Jai. You promised us an episode on jai turkey rice. Hey, don't nag me, brother. As I previously explained, I do not currently have enough information available for a good story. Okay. So while we are awaiting the discovery of perhaps some uh, ancient scroll on the subject, we can make do with pork, which is Taiwan's favorite meat by far. The average Taiwanese eats more than 36 kilograms of pork every year. Just a minute. If we're talking about promised episodes, didn't you say something about doing one on the Tugo, Taiwan's native dog, and seeing as you once owned one of these Formosan mountain dogs, that's your responsibility. Fair enough. Okay, so today let's talk about pigs, domesticated ones and wild ones, as a substitute for the Tugo, um, and hopefully uh, uh, eating-wise as well. Let's uh, start at the beginning. How long have pigs been in Taiwan? There were wild pigs, the Eurasian boar, in Taiwan back when it was connected to the Asian mainland. So that would be at least, what, 10,000 years? Yep. And then when people moved to Taiwan, they likely brought domesticated pigs with them. Many thousands of years ago, the oldest fossilized bones go back more than 6,000 years. But the pig record is messy through the millennia and centuries, the mixing of breeds and uh, mixing between wild and domesticated ones. And of course, an important part of the pig story was the introduction of a pig breed from Guangdong province in roughly 1880. This breed played an important role in Taiwan's early swine industry. It's a black pig, and it came to acquire the name of the Taoyuan pig after the area of where it was introduced. The Taoyuan pig population quickly spread throughout the island, then, during the Japanese colonial period, 1895 until 1945, the Japanese introduced the Berkshire breed and crossed it with uh, Taoyuan pigs to increase pork productivity and uh, other wanted features. And then, starting from the 1950s, several other exotic high-productivity pig breeds, such as the Yorkshire, the Hampshire, they were also introduced. Back in the old days when Taiwan was a mainly agricultural society and a poor one, many families raised a few pigs. Right. And you don't need to go that far back. Still common in the 1970s in rural areas. I asked my wife about it. Yes, we had some pigs, she said. Where our house now stands was the pig pen. <laughs> and she says it was common for families to have a few pigs. Your house literally was a pig pen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and these are, we're talking about the pink pig that we're all familiar with, you know, the, the babe one. Yes, her family had that kind. Uh, some families had the traditional black pig, though. So families kept pigs because pork was expensive, a luxury for special occasions. 
and pigs were also an efficient way of turning waste food and agricultural products into meat or money. The family might butcher the pig for their own use, or they might sell it for some major expense, like a wedding or something like that. Hmm. And pork is such a tasty meat. A little goes a long way. Take a dish like lou fan, braised meat on rice. Braised. So how would you explain that? You fry it lightly and then you cook it slowly in a little liquid. Mm. Lou fan consists of finely chopped pork. And yeah, it's pork with a good balance of meat and fat. Uh, and you have soy sauce, and rice wine, there's garlic, uh, flavoring of sugar, five spice powder and pepper. Oh, so good. A few mm. scoops of this meat and it's gravy. Oh, it's a delight. Other good pork dishes include braised pork belly and uh, pig knuckles. Um, I'm one of those uh, veggie people, or more accurately, a pescatarian, you know, uh, only eat seafood. So I can't really give any pork recommendations. How about vegetables fried in beautiful pig fat? <laughs> you know, I have to take care of that every time I'm not in an official vegetarian restaurant. I have to make ah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Wow, he's a kabukaya. So pork might have pride of place in Taiwanese cuisine, but pigs themselves don't really get that much respect. As it is in English, there are quite a few negative references in Chinese or Taiwanese to pigs. Yeah, there's uh, eat like a pig, of course, sleep like a pig. A uh, more interesting phrase, what is it? Banju chi laohu. That translates in English to pretend to be a pig to eat the tiger. So this idiom is used to describe a strategy where someone pretends to be weak or ignorant to deceive and ultimately defeat a stronger opponent. And then there's buru, uh, worse than a dog or a pig, lower than low. And of course, there's which means bad friends. Interesting, those last two sayings, dogs and pigs paired together. Both traditionally considered rather lowly animals. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, at least they both made it into the Chinese zodiac of 12 animals. Well, 11 animals and a dragon, unless you think dragons are real. Well, I happen to be a dragon, so <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm going with the dragon. <laughs> anyway, so I found this old article that pairs dogs and pigs. Well, uh, there should be two go and wild pigs to be exact. It's a magazine article on the subject of hunting from 1963 from the Taiwan Review, which was formerly called the Free China Review. The article begins asking, how is the hunting on Taiwan? What is there to shoot? Hmm. These are the inevitable first two questions from visiting sportsmen. Hard to think of Taiwan as a hunting destination nowadays. Uh, mm -hmm. Today, the indigenous people have some hunting rights but it's not allowed for regular folk. Nor for tourists. <laughs> the article continues, quote, Although somewhat depleted during the last decade, game is ample. Duck and pheasant are plentiful in the fall, and wild pigs roam the foothills. Boar are still hunted with muzzle loaders, spears, and shotguns at the urgent request of farmers whose crops are imperiled, end quote. Muzzle loaders, wow. Gunpowder and the ball loaded from the muzzle. That is the end of the barrel. Huh. 
they were starting to become obsolete in the American Civil War. So the article continues, quote, Hunters use native dogs, which are good and vociferous trackers. The sportsman must make his arrangement with local hunters. They will be able to round up the dogs, without which it would be impossible to get near a pig, end quote. Wild pig meat is still very much prized for its nutritional value and flavor, but it's a tiny fraction of the pork eaten today. Which brings us to the topic of pig farming in Taiwan. Yeah, pig farming was once a huge industry here, more than 15% of global exports, and Taiwan was the main source for Japan's pork. Taiwan's pig farming industry is still big, but a shadow of its former glory. It's never recovered from a devastating blow a quarter of a century ago. Yes, in 1997, Taiwan was hit by a severe outbreak of foot and mouth disease, a deadly and highly infectious virus which affects animals with hooves. So we're talking cows, sheep, pigs. Taiwan went from being the world's second largest exporter of pork to being a net importer. Denmark was then the number one exporter. Nowadays, it's Spain. And that number two slot is occupied by the United States of America. Taiwan had last had a foot and mouth epidemic in the 1920s, and in the 1990s, it was free of the disease. Then, in March 1997, a pig at a farm in Shinju was diagnosed with a strain of foot and mouth disease that only infects swine. And wow, the mortality rate was really high, nearly 100% in the infected herd. The exact cause of the virus was unknown. Some people say perhaps contaminated pigs smuggled in from China. Regardless of the origin, the disease spread rapidly among the swine herds in Taiwan. And the pig farmers who first found their animals infected with the disease unfortunately tried to hide it, and the problem soon became much worse. The solution was a massive cull of pigs. Over 3.8 million pigs were killed, and there was also a massive vaccination program. Okay, so that was 3.8 million pigs killed. That's a huge undertaking. Slaughtering all those animals and then disposing of all those carcasses. Yeah, at the peak of the cull, I think 200,000 hogs per day were being killed, mainly by electrocution. And the disposal of bodies was a mixture of burial and burning. Incinerators were running around the clock to uh, dispose of the carcasses. Yeah, it was so serious that the military was called in to help with this foot-and-mouth emergency. And there's a memorable account of this work in a book called Barbarian at the Gate. Yes, the full title is Barbarian at the Gate, From the American Suburbs to the Taiwanese Army published in 2014 under the name T.C. Locke, uh, a white American who did military service here in the 1990s. So when T.C. was drafted in 1996, let's see, compulsory military service was for two years, and now it's just, what, four months, soon to become one year again? Mm-hmm. So T.C., he'd fallen in love with Taiwan during a year of language study in the late 1980s. He decided to make the island his home. And with some difficulty, he acquired Taiwanese citizenship in 1994. Yeah, those were the days when you had to get rid of your original citizenship and uh, go through the whole process. Yeah, it was quite an ordeal. <laughs> and a couple of years later, 
he receives a letter from the draft board. Present yourself to a government office in Shinzu. Uh-oh. He hadn't really given any thought to uh, the prospect of being conscripted, so it came as something of a shock. Yeah, I can imagine. As I recall in the book, he was working, I think, as a cameraman for some Taiwanese company at the time, and it was like, mm. uh, give us that camera, son. Uh, here's your rifle. Mm-hmm. The basic training at boot camp and the service afterward oh, was pretty tough. They were trained like real soldiers, as if they might actually see action. Which was not entirely impossible, given the political situation at the time. This was around the time of the third cross-strait crisis, when we were having our first direct presidential election, 1996. Mm-hmm. After boot camp, TC served the rest of his two years at a mountain base in Miaoli County. His assignments ranging from guard duty at gates. So, hence the title, Barbarian at the Gate. Yep. Another task was running a karaoke bar for officers. And then there was the special duty. Foot and mouth disease duty. Killing infected pigs and burying the corpses. So one morning, he assembles with the other soldiers assigned to this task. Next to the transport trucks, there's a huge vat of mung bean soup. The officer in charge tells them, have at least one bowl of soup. It'll boost your resistance to disease. As the truck heads across the rolling hills of Miaoli, he's wondering just how awful killing pigs could be. Okay, here's a quote from the book. It wasn't so much the thought of killing the pigs that bothered me. No, the thing that bothered me was the sheer number, size, and condition of the pigs. We had to annihilate the entire farm, end quote. I'm guessing it's going to be pretty bad. I've heard pigs screaming. It's human-like. Horrible. <laughs> yes, it's absolutely horrible. However, it was the smell that hit him first on arriving at the farm. He says the stench of the area nearly smothered him. Quote, the worst I ever hoped to encounter, end quote. There were hundreds of pigs at the farm, most of them sick, and all still in their pens. The stench was overpowering. And yeah, I mean, healthy pigs smell bad enough, but these animals <laughs> were sick and dying. Here's a quote of the work that he did. He says, one group of soldiers would herd the pigs toward one of the exits, where another group would prepare both lethal injection shots and electric prods turned to the highest, hopefully lethal setting. Just beyond this was a small cliff about two stories high off of which soldiers would kick the recently injected, poisoned, and or shocked pigs. About 50 meters away from the bottom of the cliff was a large pit where we were to bury the carcasses. The men rotated jobs occasionally, but all parts of the process were nightmarish. TC's job was to stand at the bottom of the cliff from which the pigs were tossed after being injected and shocked so that he could drag the carcasses over to the pit and toss them in. Yeah. Uh, the injections took a while to take effect, and the electric prods didn't work that well either, so most of the pigs that came flying off the cliff were not yet dead. They had to be dragged away to the pit, and yeah, several soldiers sustained injuries from being kicked. And the pigs kept coming and coming over that small cliff as noon passed and the afternoon wore on. Finally, during a break, TC, right, this uh, foreigner who ended up in the ROC army, he asks an officer if he could have another duty for the rest of the day. And uh, the officer, well, uh, leads him to another pen. And it's full of piglets, cute little piglets, but 
They're infected. They're waiting for lethal injections. The officer says, you can have this duty if you want. It's the only one available. And TC says, uh, thank you, sir, but I think I'll go back to where I was before. Yeah, wow. So the sun was setting when all the pigs were finally dead and buried in the pit, and the sound of all that horrific ear-splitting, blood-curdling screeches had been replaced by silence. The conscript's work was complete. As the trucks pulled away, the tearful pig farmer thanked them. Then back to the base they went, another big vat of mung bean soup was waiting, and a long welcome hot shower, I'm trying to get rid of that stench. That's a heck of a day's work. Enough to make a guy vegetarian. Mm-hmm. The disease was stamped out, but at quite a cost, emotionally and financially. Taiwan's swine herd depleted by nearly 4 million pigs, a cost of 6.9 billion US dollars. And if you adjust that to today's money, that's about 13 billion US dollars. On top of that, a loss of exports well into the future. Many pig farms and pig-related businesses went bankrupt. I've read that the number of farmers raising pigs dropped from more than 25,000 to a little over 6,000. 25K down to 6K, so only a quarter survived. That's, that's devastating. And the industry has, to this day, never completely recovered. So when a country gets a disease, it goes on a blacklist. In mm -hmm. 2007, Taiwan was considered free of foot and mouth disease, but was still conducting a vaccination program, which restricted the export of meat from Taiwan. Yeah, it was only in 2017 that the main island of Taiwan was certified as clean. That's two decades after the outbreak. And you said the main island of Taiwan, which is not exactly the ROC or the Republic of China, as the ROC includes quite a few islands, some of them just a few miles from the Chinese coast. Good for Taiwan security, not so good for biosecurity. So while mainland Taiwan was considered clean, there was some problem with Jinmen. Uh, but in June 2020, the entire country, including the islands, was certified free from foot and mouth disease and without vaccinations. So finally, that year, 2020, there were some frozen pork exports to Macau, but it's taken longer for fresh meat exports. And it was September 2023 when the first international shipment of Taiwanese chilled fresh pork was sent to the Philippines. Two decades to resume exports. Tough. But you know, Taiwan's farmers are pretty flexible. They've had to deal with competition, collapsing overseas demand for some of the other major crops, you know, sugar, bananas. Pig farmers had to focus on the domestic market, which was still robust because, as we noted earlier, it's Taiwan's favorite meat. Some farmers have switched to raising that traditional breed, uh, black-haired pigs. Compared to regular pigs, they take longer to mature and are more expensive to raise, but you get better prices for them. Speaking of the domestic pork industry, there's an interesting feature. So exported pork was, of course, frozen, but the preference here is for fresh meat. And many, if not most, consumers here don't want it frozen. Right. The meat at the traditional markets has not been frozen. Freezing is said to affect the flavor. Even chilling it is to be avoided. So that means the pigs don't get slaughtered near the farm. 
The pigs get transported to the cities for that, and in the case of Taipei, often from quite a ways away. Yes, many a time I've been on the freeway and seen trucks, you know, packed with pigs, all those live mm -hmm. pigs crammed together. Anyway, this so-called uh, warm body pork, I wonder how fresh it is, really. Yeah, from the slaughterhouse transported at room temperature. So that would mean pigs are killed in the early hours of the morning and the meat sent to markets a little before sunrise. It's relatively efficient, but in Taiwan's temperatures and these outdoor markets, flies and, you know. Yeah, and the process is stressful for the pigs. You'd think that would affect the meat worse than freezing it. Definitely. And then there's, of course, the question of animal welfare. Mm-hmm. And speaking of pig welfare, there's a controversial annual festival involving pigs. Yes, it's a Hakka festival, actually. So the Hakka people, who I'm very fond of because my wife is 100% Hakka, <laughs> they're originally from Guangdong and southern Fujian provinces in China. They make up, I don't know, some people say 15, some people say a little bit more. Anyway, let's say 15% of the population. And during Ghost Month, there's this Yiming festival at the Shimpu Yiming Temple in the very small town of Shimpu in Shinzu County, although... We also have a similar one down here in Kaohsiung. Mm. And part of this is a holy pig or divine pig contest. Pigs are slaughtered and entered into the contest. The heaviest pig wins. So these animals get up to incredible weights, more than 500 kilos, sometimes more than 800 kilos. How does the pig get to be that heavy? Well, by a few years of fattening it up, uh, very unhealthy for the pig. The heaviest pigs obviously have to be force-fed and then stuck in cages, and they end up being too fat to move. Thankfully, the custom is declining, and there are fewer pig sacrifices being offered up like this, fewer monster-sized hogs. The origins of this festival date back centuries. The, the festival at the Shimpu Yiming Temple, it actually commemorates a group of Hakka militiamen who died defending their villages during a period of political upheaval in the late 18th century. They also happened to be helping the Qing dynasty put down rebellions, so they had government approval. Uh, those who have listened previously might remember that this also happened during the Zui Gui era mm -hmm. in 1721, and the Hakka turned on him and uh, the Qing came back. Anyway. The tradition of sacrificing these fattened pigs is not some ancient uh, thing. It's actually more recent than the honoring of those militiamen Hakka ancestors. During the Japanese colonial period in the early 20th century, the sacrificing of fattened pigs became a commonplace part of those celebrations. I've read that families once rotated the privilege of providing the sacrificial pig, but it somehow ended up as a competition. And then I think the custom became oversized, uh, supercharged in the 1980s. You know, a lot of uh, new money floating around there and the idea of more is better. So the pigs kept getting bigger and bigger. Hmm. Yeah. But John, you've done it again. How do we <laughs> go from a light, happy episode on food and, and animals into some sort of pork apocalypse? <laughs> Can we end on something a little more uplifting? You know, if we're ever going to get any Hollywood contracts, we really need to work on our endings. We need happier endings. I, I don't know what happened. Uh, sorry. <laughs> well, there was a successful reintroduction 
of pigs, uh, a rare pig breed, the rather cute Lanyu pig. Oh, Lanyu, so uh, Orchid Island, inhabited by an indigenous group called the Tao, or sometimes called the Yami. Yeah, so these Lanyu pigs are an ancient breed of locally domesticated pigs, small, almost miniature pigs. They weigh about 50, 60 kilograms, black in color or dark gray. There were fears they would disappear, but in 1979, they were brought to Taidong and breeding programs started. And a couple of years ago, they were reintroduced to Orchid Island. Okay, that'll work. Cute little piggies. And uh, I will post some pictures on FormosaFiles.com of these specific little mini cute pigs. Mm -hmm. Good work, John. Thank you. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> That's all the time we got today for Formosa Files. Thanks for listening. I'm Eric Michael Smith. I'm John Ross. Bye. <laughs>